let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse 8. Before I got saved in our church, I attended uh, a church. Uh, they brought me, uh, I had a, uh, an encounter with them, with these Christians on uh, the streets of, um, of Alagda, and they brought me to church, and I, it was my first time ever. I was around 18 years of age. I never been to church. Uh, church was non-existent in Soviet uh, Union times, and uh, when I when I came, when I went to that church, I really liked the atmosphere. I liked. Uh, uh, the people, I liked the preaching, I liked uh, just the whole atmosphere of that church. It was a Baptist church, and uh, but I was an 18-year-old rebel, and uh, uh, I something that struck me when the, at the end of the service, this big guy, the big huge Russian bear, he went up to the platform and he said, let's pray. And then he folded his hands like this. He tilted his head like this. He, uh, you know, his face became some like he had very, very tight pants. Uh, and, uh, and, and just just few seconds ago, he spoke with a manly voice. But something changed when he started praying church. Uh, his voice went up several notes up, uh, and it became very, very feminine. And he started praying, dear Lord, and uh, he went on and on and on. And I felt to myself, I am not, I'm, I don't have any, any religious background. But then I thought to myself, wow, uh, that is a weird transformation. And so needless to say, when I came to our, our church, the Potter's House, when I heard men lifting their manly voices in prayer, I thought to myself, uh, that's what I want. That's the desire that I have in my own heart. And can I preach a sermon this evening? And it's not a little unconventional. And, uh, but uh, hold on to your horses, especially sisters here, because you'll be blessed as well. But my sermon is called, Praying Men Own the World. First Timothy 2.8, let's go into the word of God. I desire therefore... That the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So I don't want to put women down. Obviously, I, I love women, right? I have my mother-in-law is in the church. My mom is in the church. They're sitting uh, somewhere over there in Russian in my church. Uh, they sit together. They criticize my sermons, you know. Uh, that's fine. I love them. My wife, my three beautiful daughters, and uh, I, I love women. And uh, women in the Bible are powerful, powerful women. They are responsive. They are sensitive. They are attentive. And uh, we see this even in the Christian world that women are more responsive by nature. There is a push in the world to use women because they are more responsive. But the reality is this evening that there is a need in our church for praying men. Praying women and praying children is an infinite treasure before God, but all for the praying men church. See, it's impossible to change the world without praying men. God calls men to pray. 
men who are strong in everything else should be strong in prayer. Prayer is not only the women's business. Church is not solely for women to pray, for praying women. It's a deep concern in my heart about men's apathy for spiritual things and especially for prayer. The Bible distinguishedly speaks of men of prayer. Men that prayed in the word of God and men who fought and led troops into the battle. Men who were courageous, men who were persistent, men who were full of self-respect, those were men of prayer. If we do not find men praying men in our churches, we will, de- we will experience defeat. We will succumb to wave of depression, disappointment, fruitfulness, and we will be emaciated and feeble churches. We'll have pink trans- uh, uh, worship services and we'll have pink churches. The prayer of men is different from prayer of women. I declare this to you. I'm not opposed of women praying, but praying men, uh, uh, the prayer of men is different from prayer of women, just like men are different from women. I've heard some powerful women in prayer rooms, but I am eager to hear men lifting up their voices in prayer. Men's prayer is just as victorious as their life should be. Man's prayer is conquering and offensive, just like their character. Man's prayer is aggressive, just like uh, what God has created us in our hearts and in our minds when he created man. I remember when I was uh, riding a train ride uh, with uh, Rick Martinez from Moscow to Vologda. It was an overnight train ride. It was a little compartment. Two of us were there uh, and obviously had jet lag. He couldn't uh, sleep. Uh, It was dark. It takes nine hours. It's an overnight train ride. I wake up in the middle of the night and I hear his voice in the total pitch black darkness. And he's praying, God, give us revival. And I'm uh, hearing this and uh, shivers, you know. I feel the anointing of God in that train in the middle of nowhere. So what did I do? I turned around, went back to sleep, and I said, we're going to have a glorious revival. Because the man of God is praying. See, men who know how to pray become the greatest warriors in God's kingdom. Name every great leader of God and you will find a man who knew how to pray. Their prayer was their strength. In Hebrews 11, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 32 and following, and what else shall I say? There is not enough time for me to tell about Gideon, about Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and other prophets who conquered Kingdoms by faith, who did righteousness by faith, who received promises by faith, 
blocked the mouths of lions, extinguished the powers of the fire, avoided the edge of the sword, strengthened from weakness, were strong in war, drove away the regiments of strangers. He's naming men who knew two things. Guys, this is liberating. We should only know two things. We should know how to pray and we should know how to fight. And if we learn these two things, we will be just fine. Think about men of the Bible. The examples of the Bible, uh, our heroes are the men of prayer and men of war. Moses was a man of prayer. Take away from Moses his prayer. He's meeting with God at the burning bush or a mountain Sinai. What will he become, church? He will become just an ordinary shepherd in a distant desert. Prayer made him what he became. Elijah the prophet was a man of prayer. His prayers were fiery in the literal sense of the word. He prayed and he was heard. And then he ordered to slaughter all of those false prophets of Baal. And 450 were killed. They knew how to pray and they knew how to fight. I think of David. Here is a 19-year-old or an 18-year-old young man who knew how to pray and who knew how to fight. I have a problem. Uh, You know, one time I heard a preacher describing David as a uh, tender boy shepherd. That's what he said. He's talking about his relationships with God. He said he's a tender shepherd boy. But listen, I don't find the tender shepherd boy when I read the Bible. David is 18 years old. Have you ever contemplated him killing a Goliath? We went so far away from the word of God. Can you say amen? I was, last summer uh, month, I was doing a youth Bible study in the mornings in my church. I uh, would start at 7.30. We at 7, we encouraged the kids to come, uh, teenagers to come to pray. And at 7.30, during the summer vacation months in the morning, every one of them showed up. Uh, The key was I taught on sex. That's why they were there. It was a biblical perspective. I said I better give them a biblical perspective before they get, uh, they know from the world and their peers that version of uh, intimate relationships. But uh, during the the, the morning Bible studies, we were discussing different heroes of the Bible. And I said, I thought about David. We talked about David. I asked him, I asked these young people, I said, how many of you have, you have seen a chicken killed or beheaded? A couple of hands went up. I said, how about a pig butchered? Have you seen a pig butchered? None of them. They're city boys. They're city girls. They've never seen a pig butchered. They've never seen a mess uh, that is made when a, when a pig is being killed. I've seen it. I've seen a drunk guy trying to kill a big pig. And he was hitting right here with the hammer. And the pig was very strong. And the guy was very drunk. And it was an ugly sight. I was traumatized for life. But we went so far from this. This generation thinks that meat comes in hamburger patties or chicken McNuggets. 
They don't know what blood is all about. Here is David, the tender shepherd boy. But listen, he runs and I can see him running across the field towards Goliath with that sling, with that stone in that sling. And he waves the sling and he hits the guy right in the forehead with that stone. And that giant of a guy, that warrior, that experienced seasoned warrior falls to the ground. He comes, he takes his sword and he cuts his head off. Being 18, 19 years of age. He's cutting his head off. And, you know, you could imagine a graphic description of how his cords are, you know, popping up. And, uh, you know, his veins and all that. But for the sake of uh, sisters here, I will not go that far. But, and he brings that head to Samuel, Saul the king. And he says, here you go. And slams that body, a bloody uh, a pulp on the table. Here is the uh, tender shepherd boy. He knew how to fight, church, and he knew how to pray. We are not called to fight unless you go and become a, a, an active duty soldier or an officer, a, a sheriff. But we are called to fight for our marriages. Amen. We are called to fight for our loved ones. We are called to fight for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to fight for our church, for our city, for our nation. If we don't find men who will fight for our families and loved ones and our nation in prayer, we're going to lose. And we are losing church. That is the uh, dramatic revelation that has to come to our lives and we have to uh, cause us to drop on our feet because if we don't pray, men, we will not succeed in our lives. Through men praying, things were done on this earth. Jesus was salvaged through a man who knew how to pray. Joseph, his earthly father, was a man of prayer. He had relationships with God and God spoke to him in dreams three pivotal times. One when he wanted to let Mary go in a dream. An angel showed up and told him do not let her go because her son is from the Holy Ghost. And he said yes and uh, every, the whole situation was salvaged. Then you know the story that uh, they had to flee to Egypt. God spoke to him directly. He was directed to Egypt. He was directed third time out of Egypt. Listen, brother, by praying, we will receive directions for our family. People, loved ones will be salvaged through you know, your prayer. I have a privilege Standing here before you and telling you that all of my immediate family members, except for one, are saved. My mom, I told you, my mother-in-law, my sister of my wife, her husband, my younger brother, my father before he passed away. Listen, I remember moments when I had to fight with God. I remember one time when I was leaving my house, my parents' house, they were not saved. And I remember uh, thinking about how the devil is lying, how he's lying to them. And I remember driving away and I remember tears streaming down my face. 
And I remember I couldn't drive. I had to stop and I started beating on the steering wheel. And I started pleading with God. I started saying, I will not let you, the devil, take my family to hell. Listen to me, I said. Listen to me. You are not. I will fight with everything I have. I will not let my family go to hell. We have to fight. And we have to know how to fight in prayer. Because prayer is the pivotal moment. Something, everything hinges on prayer. I was reading of a Russian man by the name of Ivan Prakhanov. He was moved, used by God in, in uh, last century, in the beginning of last century, with hundreds of thousands of people uh, uh, saved and um, uh, uh, basically added to eternity. Uh, and this man was used by God in a powerful way. He describes in his own biography, uh, well, he had to run from uh, the communist Russia, but uh, uh, he describes in his biography, uh, when he was young, when he was a teenager, he decided to commit suicide. And how he, uh, they had a, a rifle on the wall uh, right in his little room where he slept and studied. They had a rifle on the wall. He thought he's going to come back from school, take that rifle and take his life. And walking in a depressed mode, uh, things are, uh, you know, he's a young man, uh, a teenager. He has all these thoughts in his mind, uh, no, no doubt an assault from hell on his life. And uh, he's coming into the room, he's closing the door behind him, he's going to reach for the rifle. He looks up and there is no rifle, the nail is empty. He's amazed, he sits down at his desk, he looks at the desk and there he sees a little letter, a little note. He opens the note. It's a note from his father. See, his father was a Christian man. And his father was a praying man. And he wrote in his note, he said, Son, listen, it's going to be okay. Things are going to get better. You need Jesus. You need to cry out to him. He will change your life. And that note, and he said, God told me to take that rifle away from you. There and then this young man kneeled, dropped on his knees and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life, becoming a great man of God in the future. But it was his father church who knew how to pray and who knew how to fight for his son, for his daughter, for his loved ones. Here is Ananias in the New Testament. Oh, he's so afraid of a, of a new convert by the name of Saul from Tarsus. But God wanting to convince him not to be afraid of that man makes one very important statement. In Acts 9 we see, he says to Ananias, go rise up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he is right now praying and pleading with God. He is praying right now, says Jesus, says God to Ananias. Go, you can now be, not be afraid of him. This is the most powerful statement in the word of God. He is in prayer and I am moving on his behalf. This is the proof of the reality of conversion. This is what makes fake Christians, uh, 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 you know, uh, makes a difference between a fake and uh, not a fake Christian, a real Christian. He's the man who knows how to pray and he wants to pray. God's great wars of the past, warriors of the past, 
missionaries, ministers, pastors. For them, prayer was not just a matter of habit. They were people who gained strength through prayer. And the reality of their lives were they conquered kingdoms by faith. This is my prayer. God, let me conquer kingdoms by prayer. God, let me do the deeds of righteousness by prayer. Let me receive the promises by faith and prayer. Let me block the, li- the mouths of lions by prayer. Extinguish the powers of the fire. Avoid the edge of the sword. And list goes on and on. Listen, women, sisters here would shout amen because they need their husbands to pray. They need men who will lead them in prayer. And leadership is manifested through prayer. Praying men know their God and they will receive direction from God for their family, for their church, for their nation. In the hard moments, in the difficult moments, in the moments when nobody knows what to do. A man of prayer will rise up and will say, I know where to go. I know what to do. We're all going to be salvaged, just like Apostle Paul. So the question this evening, as I go to my third point, why don't men pray? Number of reasons, I believe, number one, lack of revelation about prayer. There is a lack of revelation for people of God. Also, number two, I believe pride and self-confidence kicks in. We are, we are by, because we are aggressive by nature, we are prompted to be self-confident more than relying on God. We are afraid to look weak, and because of pride and self-confidence, we do not see God in the matters of everyday life. Number three, I believe lack of discipleship about prayer. I became, I learned how to pray by listening to my pastor praying. I saw him praying. I saw that he's there. I would walk into the church as a new convert. I saw him uh, praying and not only that, but he would explain to me how he loves uh, uh, praying and asking God and beseeching and and, and petitioning God. And that made me uh, desiring to pray. There is a definite lack of exampleship of praying leadership from older churches. See, if we want to have revival this church, we need to realize that they will watch us pray and they will become just like us. If we don't pray, they will not pray. If we do not aggressively petition before God, they will not do it. They will not learn how to pray because there is no discipleship. That's why we need the prayer room. That's why we need church, a prayer room. And I am so blessed because a prayer room in this church is filled with people. And they are praying and they are asking God. But I've gone to churches. A large churches. And I can tell you my heart uh, is broken because I look around and uh, uh, if it's not the staff that is there, no one else is praying and pleading God. And I'm thinking to myself, how are we going to disciple the next generation how to take the world for Jesus if they don't understand the necessity and power of prayer? There is something else that stops men from praying in our generation. 
we need to recognize, they need to recognize the power of, of God and his dominion in their lives. They'll have to submit uh, their will and surrender their will to a will of another much stronger, omnipotent and omnipresent being called God the Father. He is God the Father, church. Not God the parent, not mother God, praise the Lord. He is the masculine principle. And we need to talk to him in this way. And I believe this generation has a problem identifying themselves in relationships with a supernatural manly character, God the Father. See, I have three girls and two boys as a family. And uh, my girls are anywhere between 25, and, uh, 25, 23, 21. So they're still, you know, I mean, the oldest is married, but the two, 23, 21 is, is in my house. And, you know, very often uh, we are a huggy family. Uh, quite often they would come into my office, I'm studying, and uh, Sonia comes, you know, and she uh, turns my chair uh, from the table towards her, and she sits on my lap. She hugs me, you know, and uh, she clings to me, you know, and uh, I grab her, I, I hug her, and uh, she needs the hug from, the da- from her daddy, right? And, and I love that experience. I, I, I'm full of joy. I kiss her in the cheek, you know, before she gets mar- married, after she gets married. I won't be able to do that. But, you know, I, and, and, and my daughter, other daughter, Yana, she does the same thing. They, we are a huggy family. She comes, they, you know, they talk, they, they need some comfort, you know, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. Then, then I have two boys, right, 18 and 19. And you know, uh, as they, we were, they were growing up, we would all hug each other. They would hug me you know, when they were small. And then I noticed something when puberty kicked in, you know, something started to take place, you know. Around the table, we would hold hands sometimes to pray, well, all the time actually. But when they started to grow up, I, I grabbed my son's hand and he like... <laughs> you know, I got the message, but... And then, you know, am I, if, I, if I'm going someplace, you know, we would say goodbye. I'm going to preach somewhere. And we would hug, you know, I would hug the girls. And they're like, you know, they're hugging, but like, whatever, you know. And extending their hand now for the handshake. I don't want this business of hugging and, and, and kissing. They're in, in 19 and 18. But on the other hand... When they need to talk, it's a different scenario. I'm sitting in my office, I'm studying, reading, whatever. Here comes my son. He drops on the sofa. I have a little sofa there. Dad, I need to talk to you. We talk and we talk differently. The fatherless generation doesn't have no reference point of what I'm just talking about. We live in a, in a generation where I ask men in my church to raise their hands if they have a father who was present 
and present and even if he was present he was a father real father I have a handful of my congregation I have a handful of men would raise their hand and say I had a father who was present who was there who was there for me we live in a generation where men do not know how to relate to somebody in authority and here where the rubber meets the road because uh, when you come to God you have to talk as a man would talk to a man you come before the father before this giant of a man full of power and strength who has character who loves righteousness who is holy and angels are crying out holy 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 he has a throne we have no perception of that a throne he has all power. He has servants, slaves. How do you relate if you've never had a father figure in your life and you don't understand how would you even talk? And that's why women are taking over our churches because men don't know there is no reference point for a man to be a man. And when we talk about prayer, I'm reminded of Job. You know, towards the end of Job's uh, book of Job, you know, when he comes to realization of, of things and God speaks to Job in a most powerful way. In Job 38, listen to these verses of scripture. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Job 40 verse 7 repeats the same idea now. Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Here they are. They have a conversation. Men in face, face to face with another man. And they are talking like men would talk. They have conversations like men. Here they are talking. Here they are conversing. Here is Job looking, standing. And God speaks out of a mighty whirlwind. And says, gird yourself up. Uh, fasten your seat belt. I am going to talk. Tuck your shirt in. I'm going to talk to you like a man would talk to a man. That's why I have a very difficult time in Russia uh, discipling men because you have to talk to them like a man, but they crumble. They, 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 they get upset. They go watch porn. They get vengeance, you know, they get, uh, uh, why did you do this? Because I, I didn't like what you said and I went and I, and I thought I'm going to, you know, out of vengeance to you. And I watched this and I did this. And we're talking about a generation that is lost understanding, but we need to get back and you need to get into the prayer room and you need to, as a man, sit or, or, or you know, whatever you do before uh, the holy throne of God in prayer and you need to lift your hands up and you need to speak to him like to the father, like a man would speak to a man. And that's different from anything else. When you get that revelation, your, your prayer life will be changed. He is your father and he is a man and he wants you to become a man. That's why Paul says in our text, I desire therefore. 
He says this word desire, meaning I wish it, I want it, I have a desire for it. I want to stir up your spiritual jealousy. You need man. I, 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 he might have probably went in the car, you know, went to some prayer rooms and he saw a man that didn't pray. I want men to pray. I desire men to pray. That's my desire. You must pray. You must be men of prayer. And there are several things I want to mention towards the end. See in our text uh, in 1 Timothy 2.8, the Bible says several things here that draws my attention. First of all, he speaks about men praying everywhere. That is in every situation, in every circumstance. Retreat to prayer in every situation of your life. He speaks about lifting holy hands. That talks about clean hands of men in worship, in submission, in surrender of your pride. He talks about without wrath, meaning that I believe when men pray, they will be able to overcome their emotions. They will have victory over their temper feats. They will have victory over their anger because we are angry by nature. But when we pray, God will give us victory. And he said, you will be able to overcome that. And he talks about without doubting, meaning that a man who knows how to pray will raise up from that prayer, from that meeting with God, full of supernatural faith. In May 1873, at a, a place called Chitambo in northern Zambia, Livingstone's African servants found him dead. But he was kneeling by his bedside as if in prayer. To embalm Livingston's body, they removed his heart and buried it in the African soil. On a difficult nine-month journey, they carried his body to the shore. He was taken to England and on April 18, 1874, at a great Victorian funeral, he was buried in Westminster Abbey. They found that man dead on his knees as if in prayer. I challenge men in this place, in this assembly, if we are to see revival, if we are to see God moving in a supernatural way, we have to have an encounter. And I, I, uh, I challenge young men in this place, teenager. It doesn't matter if you didn't have your earthly father. You can still come to him and he will teach you how. He will teach. You know, David, oh, the Lord God teaches my hands to battle. You will learn how to fight. You will learn how to be a man that stands strong for your family, for your convictions, for your righteousness against every assault of the devil. I challenge men in this place, fill up that prayer room and lift up your manly voices. I, I challenge, if Paul desired this, then how, what about us this evening as you're sitting in this place? Paul said, I desire men everywhere to pray. And I desire men in this church and in my church and in the churches all throughout uh, Russian fellowship. Uh, I desire another fellowship uh, outside of Russia. I desire men to learn how to speak to a father like a man would speak to a man. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a second.